Good morning. The uh, reading is on page 1021 in the Bibles in front of you. Page 1021. It's Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 27. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, You yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted 
deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that as we come to it uh, this morning, we would have humble hearts uh, to learn more of what we are like and to be uh, amazed at uh, the Lord Jesus and what he has gone through uh, for each of us. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, um, at some point, uh, I imagine uh, most of us in this room will have been on a plane. Maybe not all of us, but most of us. And I'll imagine that some of us uh, will have experienced uh, an announcement a little bit like this. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to uh, descend to our destination. You can choose where it is. Uh, Due to the local weather conditions, it's likely we are going to experience some turbulence. As we descend, please do stay seated, keep your seatbelts fastened, and remain calm, because we're still expected to land as scheduled at approximately, let's say, 10.25 local time. Now, I don't know how well you deal with being told that the plane that you are in, 30,000 feet up in the air, is about to be violently shaken. Uh, Certainly the first time you experience turbulence in a plane, it really doesn't matter what the pilot has said to you. Uh, But but he's telling you ahead of time uh, to reassure you. Uh, There is going to be some serious turbulence. You are literally going to be shaken. But uh, your journey is still on course. The pilot is going to ensure, at least he's told you, he's going to ensure you land safely. Well, Jesus um, makes a similar announcement uh, to the disciples right at the start of this passage that Mike just read for them, read, read for us. Uh, He tells us that there's going to be turbulence ahead. But he also uh, tells the disciples to reassure them. Have a look at verse 27. He tells them, uh, you will all fall away. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep, that's the disciples, will be scattered. There's the turbulence. But, he says, after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now if you've uh, been with us for any length of time as we've looked through Mark, you will know that Jesus knows that he is to die. Uh, He knows uh, because God's word uh, tells him. Uh, In particular, he's quoting a verse here from uh, the prophet Zechariah, uh, and it's a verse that promises that the one God sends to rescue his people and bring them uh, into his everlasting kingdom is going to have to die to make sure that happens. And Jesus says when that happens, when the shepherd is struck, uh, the sheep are going to scatter. The disciples are going to run. Jesus knows he's going to die, and he knows his followers are going to falter and fall. He knows all that we've uh, read this morning. He knows that uh, they're going to sleep while he prays. Uh, He knows they're going to flee when he gets arrested and the soldiers turn up. He knows that Peter is going to deny him three times. But rather than think about himself, Jesus uh, reassures them a little bit like that Pilate does. He tells us there's going to be this turbulence ahead, but he doesn't want to frighten us. 
He wants to reassure them about the future, his future and their future. And we're going to see they are going to need some reassurance. Imagine you're a disciple. Uh, You're about to lose your leader, your shepherd. Uh, They're about to see uh, their best friend betrayed, handed over to the Romans, crucified and buried. The man that they've given up uh, their livelihoods and families uh, to follow is going to be dead in a tomb. Uh, in just a day or so's time. It's pretty big uh, stuff. And on top of all that, uh, they are going to falter big time, numerous times. Uh, And when they do, uh, Jesus' words from chapter 8, surely they will be ringing in their ears and be unsettling their hearts. Let me uh, just read what Jesus had told them before we dig into this passage. Uh, Back in... Mark chapter 8, verse 37. Jesus said this to his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If anyone is ashamed of me, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Do you remember those were the requirements Jesus uh, set for those who would follow him? And if anyone's going to fail to meet them, well, they'll lose their lives. That's what Jesus had said. When, when he returns uh, as the judge of the world in all the glory of God, uh, with the armies of heaven, well, unless something changes, Jesus has said he's going to be ashamed of them. Because the disciples are going to fail. They're going to falter. And we'll see that in a moment. But Jesus even as he's about to die, wants to reassure them. And he can reassure them because he knows uh, the full story. He knows that through the turbulence of the next few days, that's actually how their future hope uh, and reassurance is going to come. He's going to be resurrected from the dead. Uh, The disciples are going to be reunited with him. That's what he says. He says uh, he'll see them again uh, in Galilee. He'll go ahead of them. Now, up until this point, the disciples just don't get it. Uh, They haven't grasped that that's all part of the plan. Uh, Despite Jesus telling them, we've seen it a number of times in Mark, he's going to die, he's going to be handed over and die and rise again. He's going to lay down his life as a ransom for their sins, for their failings. They haven't put all of that together yet. So we're going to look at two themes uh, in this um, passage. We're going to look at the shepherd uh, being struck uh, and we're going to look at the sheep being scattered. And at the end, uh, I hope we'll see how it is that we can be uh, reassured today as we uh, often falter and fail as we follow the Lord Jesus. So firstly, we're going to look at uh, the faltering followers and then we'll look at see how Jesus uh, faithfully fulfills God's plan. So let's start with um, the disciples. Immediately, uh, we see the reaction, don't we, of the disciples to Jesus telling them he's going to die and they're going to run off. Have a look, verse 29. As usual, it's Peter, isn't it? Peter declares, even if, I, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. 
But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. No, Peter says, Jesus, you've got it all wrong. I'll never forsake you. These guys over here, yeah, they might, but you can rely on me. I'm Peter. And Jesus is gentle with him, isn't he? He says, no, Peter, you are going to disown me three times. We'll see that happens next week. But Peter comes back, Mark says, emphatically, no, Jesus, I'm going to die with you if I have to. I'll never disown you. You've got to like his enthusiasm, haven't you? And it's not just him. Mark says all the others uh, say the same thing. But straight away we see the sheep, the disciples, faltering because they fail first to listen to what Jesus says. They fail uh, to trust him and his words. They fail uh, to trust that they are going to fail And that the other side of Jesus' death is hope for them. And really what they're doing is denying that Jesus needs to die for them. The crux of it is they're still trusting themselves. They're not trusting that Jesus has got to do something for them. He's got to die for them. And they continue uh, to falter. They go into the garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus' death. uh, And things are going to get so bad for Jesus, he needs company for the ordeal that he's about to go through. It's remarkable that Jesus uh, needs his friends uh, to go with him. You think of all of the things that have gone on in Mark's gospel. He's been asleep in a boat with a raging storm. But now, as he's about to die, he needs some company. And Mark tells us, doesn't he, stresses, Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus was scared. He was fearful of death. In Luke's Gospel, we read that Jesus was under so much stress that his sweat became like drops of blood. And he says, verse 34, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. It really must have been something for the disciples to see the same man who who calmed that storm, who was so calm he could sleep suddenly so fearful so frightened uh, about what was to come and I think Mark's trying to help us uh, to feel the depth of Jesus's anguish as he considers the judgment uh, of God he's going to bear on the cross it's actually how uh, we should truly feel when we think about God's judgment and what we deserve We're going to come back to Jesus' prayer in a moment, but notice uh, the disciples and how they falter. We'll never disown you. Jesus will will die for you. And what do they do? They fall asleep while Jesus is in turmoil. Verse 37, he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? I think um, Mark's picking out Peter, first and foremost, because he was the first one to stand up. It's as if he's saying, are you asleep, Peter? Couldn't even you, Peter, keep a watch for just one hour? It seems he's making 
uh, a point to Peter. You're going to die for me. You can't even keep your eyes open. But there's much more than the obvious sleepiness going on. Uh, Jesus, if you remember, spent most of chapter 13 teaching his disciples to be alert and to be watchful for God's coming judgment. So do you see what's happening here? As God's judgment is about to fall on Jesus, Peter fails. He falls asleep. He's not alert. Neither do the rest of the disciples. And so Jesus says, pray. Watch and pray, verse 38, that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we see again, once more he went away, prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know even what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's pretty clear, Mark's trying to show us the disciples' failure, isn't it? Back then they didn't have um, bold and underline and italics and font 72, but that's what uh, Mark is doing here by showing us uh, how much they fail. And it carries on, did you see? As Judas uh, turns up to betray Jesus with the Roman uh, soldiers, uh, with the, sorry, with the, with the religious leaders, uh, Jesus uh, is there and he's arrested. And maybe at that point it begins to dawn on the disciples, the shepherd really is going to be struck. We are in trouble if we're with him. And what happens? Well, the sheep scatter, don't they? They flee. Verse 50, Mark makes the point, everyone deserted him and fled. And verse 51, that strange little bit, 52, it's probably a little comment from Mark himself. It's his way of saying that he was there as well. And crucially, the important thing is, he says he fled too. He legged it. We've got faltering followers, clearly, haven't we? They trust themselves, not Jesus. They sleep when they should watch and pray against temptation. They flee when danger arrives. Uh, next week we'll see Peter does, does deny Jesus three times. And it'd be really easy to look on the disciples and think, why on earth did you do that if we weren't so, so similar? So often, aren't we those people who, who trust ourselves? Uh, followers of Jesus today, we so easily fall into all these traps. Now, of course, lots of people outside of the church who wouldn't say they're Christians, they don't trust that they need Jesus for salvation. But here it's followers of Jesus. And I imagine many of us would profess and do profess that Jesus needed to die for us. But how often do we not apply that to our minds uh, every day of the week? Uh, If you find yourself uh, despairing when you fail, it really shows that you're trusting in yourself and not in Jesus. Or on the other hand, if you uh, find all of your assurance and all of your confidence for the future, for heaven, uh, on the basis of your spiritual CV, how good your week's been, Uh, how frequent your quiet times have been or not, how long you've been a Christian, uh, the things you do and ways that you serve in church, uh, perhaps even how we match up to other people around us. 
Both of those ways show that we're faltering like Peter. We're actually trusting in ourselves, our own performance, not Jesus' death for our assurance and confidence. They're opposite sides uh, of the same coin. So we trust ourselves. I know I certainly do. Uh, So often we go to sleep uh, spiritually and sometimes just physically. Uh, If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will know how easy it is to to press the spiritual snooze button when it comes to being watchful about the future judgment. It's easy to take our eye off the ball with everything else that's going on in life. The next date in our diaries that we're preparing for is often not judgment day. And isn't it strange that when we do pray, how often do we find our eyes uh, drooping or our minds becoming distracted? We'll think about denying Jesus uh, next week for whoever's uh, preaching that. Uh, But often, even before we get to that conversation, uh, when we can see that trouble's going to come, even if we say that we're a a Christian, don't we want to avoid confrontation? (laughs) Don't we sometimes want to uh, run? Maybe there's that little nagging inside of us to, uh, to avoid letting on that we, what we really believe about Jesus or his teaching. I don't know about you, but so often we show ourselves to be faltering uh, followers, like Adam in the garden, like Israel throughout the whole Testament, like the disciples here, uh, we falter. And when we realise that, we can easily find ourselves in the same kind of turmoil that the disciples we're about to be in. Those words from chapter 8 ring in our ears. Uh, they trouble us and unsettle our hearts. Perhaps you've had that experience where you falter and you think, I've just let Jesus down too much this time. How on earth can I have any confidence uh, of forgiveness and eternal life? We question, how on earth can God accept me? How can I really be with him in heaven if I've done this again? How am I going to Uh, land safely. Well, we'll come back to that uh, because this uh, second kind of theme helps us. Uh, We've got faltering followers, but we've got uh, Jesus, who we're going to turn and look at now. And rather than falter, uh, he faithfully fulfills uh, God's plan under extreme uh, pressure. Have a look back through me uh, with this passage uh, as we look at Jesus, who faithfully fulfills God's plan. I don't know how many of you are quick to give up on a job, particularly one of those awkward, uh, unattractive, laborious, uh, unenjoyable jobs, especially if you're stuck doing it on your own. Uh, If we don't manage to avoid those jobs altogether, uh, we're often looking to cut corners, Uh, we're looking to do the bare minimum sometimes, or maybe we try and cajole somebody else in to do it and we give them the bits we don't want to do, or we just get them to do all of it for us. Uh, we were painting some of our house over half term. Uh, and to be honest, after just one coat of paint up the stairwell, I'd had enough. Uh, and there were three of us. And we had the radio on. Throughout this passage, though, Jesus uh, is facing the pain and horror of the cross, of God's judgment, and he's determined to fulfill God's plan. What drives him is not uh, his rights, it's not comfort. It's not cutting corners, it's his father's will and obeying it perfectly. He wants to fulfil scripture. Have a look 
um, at verse 27 again, that verse from the prophet Zechariah. Jesus knows the shepherd is to be struck. It's part of the plan. He knows that's talking about him. He's known throughout Mark that's where he's heading. But despite that, he carries on and he's resolute. Uh, He submits to scripture and he says, doesn't he, it is written. It's written and therefore it's going to happen. It must happen. And so Jesus goes on and he's faithful. He goes into the garden and we've seen the distress that he goes through, how overwhelmed he was. Don't know about you, I would have quit long ago. And he prays, he prays in desperation to his father. Verse 36, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. That's where we know Jesus is talking about the cup of uh, God's wrath, just spoken about in the Old Testament, the cup of anger which God has towards sinners, but is going to be drunk by Jesus on their behalf as he dies. But despite being under such extreme stress, anguish, fear, desperate to find another way, for all it's possible, Jesus doesn't falter. He says, verse 36, aren't these some amazing words? Not what I will, but what you will. That sentence, well, that decision, that on it hangs every hope of our salvation, really, doesn't it? Jesus' willingness to be faithful, even to the cross. He doesn't cling to his rights and say, I'm your son, you should treat me better than this. He doesn't cut corners, he doesn't give in, he doesn't falter. He's determined to humbly fulfill God's plan. Verse from uh, Philippians 2. Though being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be, to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's extraordinary humility and faithfulness and willingness uh, to give his life as a ransom for people like you and me. We sometimes uh, sing that song, don't we? You chose the cross. Uh, Some of the words uh, remind us that all that Jesus went through deserved to be ours. We sometimes sing, you chose the cross with every breath, a crown of thorns you wore for us. The sorrow that surrounded you was mine. Yet not my will, but yours be done, you said. And the chorus says, I'm lost in wonder, I'm lost in praise. Surely that's how we ought to respond to Jesus' faithfulness to fulfill God's plan, isn't it? I'm not quite sure what it means to be lost in wonder, but I get what the guy's saying. It's amazing. As he leaves the garden, Jesus carries on being faithful. He doesn't flee. In fact, he walks calmly towards Judas. Verse 41, the hour has come. Rise, let's, let us be going. My betrayer is, hand, is at hand. Knowingly, Jesus walks towards Judas. And even as he's uh, betrayed, even in the injustice of his arrest, look at how he responds. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But what does he say? But the scriptures 
must be fulfilled. Jesus' chief concern that God's will be done, that the scriptures must be fulfilled. Perhaps he had in the back of his mind Psalm 2, which says that the nations, the kings, the rulers, they were going to rage and plot and take counsel against God and his king. Perhaps he had that in mind. Maybe he had Isaiah 53 in mind, God's suffering servant who would be despised, who would be rejected, oppressed, afflicted. I imagine he had some of those verses going on in his mind. Jesus has repeatedly said throughout Mark, hasn't he? The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the the scribes and be killed. And then, after three days, rise again. Jesus knew this was God's will and loving plan for sinners like you and me to be rescued. Uh, And as he has throughout this passage, and will continue to do uh, in the next few weeks as we see, uh, Jesus faithfully fulfills God's plan. Uh, And even as Peter steps in, I don't know if you noticed it, uh, he strikes uh, the servant of of one of the the priests, the high priest. Uh, We see what happens, we get a bigger picture of what happens in the other Gospels. John 18, 11 tells us that when when Peter swings his sword, Jesus tells him off. He says, put it away. And he says to him, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And then in Matthew's Gospel, Peter says, do you not think I cannot call on my Father and he'll at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? And he goes on to say, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Time and time again, Jesus insists on faithfully fulfilling God's will. The same man who could calm a storm, raise a dead girl with just a word. He could summon the armies uh, of God to his aid just like that. But no, he's going to faithfully fulfill scripture. They're the two um, things uh, that go throughout this passage. Faltering followers, but then Jesus, who is faithful in fulfilling God's plan. And when we put those two things uh, together, that's where we see how we can be assured. That's how the disciples can be reassured. You see, the Peter and the disciples need to stop looking to themselves They need to recognise humbly they're going to fall, they're going to fail. But their hope is not in their own shaky, faltering performance. Their future rests entirely on the faithfulness of Jesus in going to the cross. Now we can see that a lot more clearly, this side of the cross, so we shouldn't be too hard uh, on the disciples. We can understand as we look back over Mark's gospel and over the next few weeks we'll see how sinners can be forgiven and have the penalty for their punishment paid completely through the death of the Lord Jesus. And in a minute we're going to remember that, aren't we, as we share in communion. We'll remember his body being broken for us, his blood being shed for us. We'll look back, but as we look back we can also look forward with reassurance that's what Jesus wants us to have even as we uh, falter and slip and stumble we can have reassurance because Jesus faithfully fulfills God's plan 
And if we take our eyes off our shaky performance and we listen to Jesus' words and we believe them, there's real wonderful reassurance and joy that Jesus died for you. He rose again and you will be with him. Paul sums it up uh, in Romans 5. He says, since we have now already, he doesn't say already, but since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I don't know about you, uh, but if you know yourself very well at all, you know there's going to be shaky times, uh, times of stumbling and faltering and, and falling as we follow Jesus. But because of his death, because of his faithfulness to fulfil God's plan, we can be totally sure we'll land safely if you're on a plane at 30,000 feet, you've just got to take the pilot's word that he knows what he's doing. If you're a Christian, Jesus has already landed you because he's died for you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reassurance the Lord Jesus gives us in this passage. We recognise that like the disciples, we so often falter and fail, yet we praise you uh, for the Lord Jesus, for his willingness uh, to faithfully fulfil your plan and to take the wrath that we deserve. We ask that as we often uh, falter and fail, we know the reassurance that comes through the death of the Lord Jesus. And we pray that we wouldn't just profess it, but that we would apply it to our lives each day. And for any who don't know that reassurance of sin forgiven and the sure hope of eternal life, we pray that you would be at work in them, helping them to recognise what the Lord Jesus has done for them. We pray they would understand it and believe it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.